Oh, it's one, two, three strikes, you're out at the old ball game. Take me out to the ball game. Take me out with the crowd. Buy me some peanuts and cracker jacks. Well, I don't care if I ever get back. Let me You're out at the old ball game. Welcome to Let's Get Two, the baseball podcast from the fans' perspective. Now here's your host, James Christopher. And welcome to Let's Get Two. I am your host, James Christopher. I am coming to you from Car Shield Field, home of the O'Fallon Hoots. And the normal corn belters and the yeah that's right. There's another another pod in the prospect league. Another group of people got together and said we need baseball, and they figured out a way to do it in this time of COVID. I, I really urge you to refer back to our interview with the GM of the team, David Schmall, way back from last week. I know in COVID time, that's like a year ago. We have a great episode for you today. We're going to be covering a doubleheader, a couple of seven-inning games. We've got the Portland Pickles on the show. Scott McIntyre is here. We're going to be coming to you from the bleachers outside of St. Louis, so stay with us. Holler and a swaller, a chug of ballpark brew, presented by the Hitter Sports. All right, we are here with the Holler and a Swallow segment. We are out here at Cybergs, which is this cool, like, local place in the St. Louis area. And we are having the Good News. Is that what it's called, Scott? It's the Good News Pineapple Colts. The Pulse. Good News Pineapple Colts, part of our Holler and a Swallow. Look at this Hollers. Lots of Hollers and Swallers. This one goes out to the hitter, so Holler and a Swallow, baby. Show me the merch, the best from the pro shop. So on this edition of Show Me the Merch, we have two great looks from two of the teams that we featured on this week's episode. Now, first, we have the Portland Pickles game day hat featuring Dylan the Pickle. And again, they really embraced such a fun look. They really embraced the idea of what makes collegiate summer league baseball fun. Think Portland Pickles and Savannah Bananas and Macon Bacon and the like. Now, we're also going to talk to the folks from the Portland Pickles today, and we're going to talk a little bit about the Portland Gherkins. I won't give it a spoil about who they are, but it's like a little version of Dylan the Pickle, the Portland Gherkins. Now, our next stuff is from the O'Fallon Hoots. We were out at the Car Shield Collegiate Woodbat League this past weekend, had a great time, saw a doubleheader, great ballpark. We'll talk a little bit about it with Scott later in the episode. But we picked up a hat and a couple of jerseys, and I'm going to start with the ball cap. This is the O'Fallon Hoots cap. I absolutely think this is one of the best designed and best looking logos in baseball, just period. It's It's got a really great clean design. It really works on a lot of different jersey looks, as we'll see. And I don't know, I, I got a real Batman vibe from this particular cap, which is why I ended up picking it. I also grabbed, and those of you who know the show know that I'm a sucker for Christmas in July, period. And so I got their Christmas in July jersey. 
This will definitely be worn as part of my month-long celebration of all things Christmas. And then again, anybody who watches this show knows I'm also a sucker for Star Wars looks. And I thought that they had a really great Star Wars jersey. Uh, Darth Vader on the front. I thought the nice touch of the Stormtroopers on the back really tied the jersey together. So some great looks from the Portland Pickles and the O'Fallon Hoots. Highly recommend you check them out on the web and, and order some gear for yourself. You can be the talk of the town when people say, hey, where'd you get that cool cap? From the bleachers, the Let's Get To Game of the Week. Brought to you by Marco Fine Arts. Hey, folks, we are back here for Let's Get To, and this time we're going to trade up a little bit. Scott gets to interview Jim for a change. That's the first time for everything, right? So, Jim, let me ask you. You were here at beautiful Car Shield Field. We're out here beyond uh, right field, kind of out in the corner at the 299 mark down the line. Jim, what do you think about the ballpark? i got to be honest. Uh, you have been doing the hard sell on this ballpark for now almost two years. Yeah. Completely worth it. Uh, this has been one of the best – not even just one of the best independent ballparks I've been to, but one of the best ballparks, period. Um, one of the things I love about it, and you and I have already done some of this, and we'll continue, the variety of seating. Yeah, um, yeah. Behind home plate, corners. Uh, you've got, a lot of this closed down for social distancing, but just tented places, bleachers in the back, which I love that, since this is from the bleachers. Yeah, no, this ballpark is definitely a must-visit for anybody that's in the area. And you can sit right behind home plate on the back row under the press box and listen to the play-by-play. You don't get that everywhere either. You can listen to the play-by-play or you can listen to the reaction of a player when... We can't repeat those we words. We can't repeat those uh, words. Well, we can here, but we can on uh, national TV. No, so, <laughs> no, we can't. We get that seven-second delay. So, yeah. um, so you've, we've seen a game. We saw sure. a game earlier. We're in between games. We've had a little bit of a rain delay. What did you think about the first game you saw? So, you know, the thing is, there's a the couple things that I noticed. Now, the, the game got out of hand, I think, because the weather conditions de- yeah, deteriorated. Yep, absolutely. But, um, you know, when we were talking with the general manager, uh, David Schmall, who was on the show last yep. week, I did not fully realize that it wasn't just high school, I mean, sorry, college players, but they've got affiliated minor league guys, independent, and even high school guys filling out the rosters. Absolutely. To me, the, the, the level of play was outstanding. Um, you know, obviously, there's always going to be moments when you're like, Maybe that play should have been made, but that's any any game you watch. Well, when do you have the opportunity as a as a you know a senior high school pitcher or somebody who's looking forward to that to get to pitch to a guy who's in the White Sox or the Red Sox right. or the Astros organization? You saw an Astros uh, player here earlier. That's, yeah, that that's that. I, I don't know if that existed. It does. It doesn't. And I think it's what an amazing opportunity. Can you imagine being a, 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 again a senior in high school? You thought your season was over, your high school season. Instead, you've traded up to actually get to face real talent. That's amazing. So, what do you hope to see here in the second game? What do you, what do you want to see? What are you looking for? Because we got a couple of names. Now, yeah, in the so minor league system. Because going... we got some real, uh, you know, tell, tell Jake Berger of the White Sox system. There's actually uh, uh, other media sources that are here tonight. We didn't know this was like a big night. Uh, Jake Berger of the White Sox. But your Sox you, organization. Are... Used, we're nailing it down, though. I don't know who these other bozos are. Too, because we're getting to, uh, but Jake Berger of the White Sox yeah. is here. There's there's people back here, and this is no joke. They've they've got they've got a poster board cut out like their biggest Jake Berger fans or something. It's weird. Yeah, but weird. Tate, but Tate Matheny, Mike Tate Matheny. Matheny's son, yep. is also here from the from Mike Matheny, manager of the Royals, yeah. obviously. So this is. Kind and of remember, we had Mike Matheny's dad on the show last season because he's the manager or was the man of the Chatham Anglers. Yep. So we've got a little bit of. 
Oh man, you got it. We got a whole like lineage thing going. We are um, gapping generations. We now. are. I'm gonna I'm gonna include an insert of of some of the gameplay for the Corn Belters game. Now, one of the things I want everybody to know, like Corn Belters, you didn't you watch these guys in July? Correct. So explain a little bit about what's going on with that. Well, I'm interviewing you, but that's fine. I'll do that. <laughs> um, so so because of, because of, they all play in the Prospect League anyway. The Corn Belters and uh, the the O'Fallon Hoots and the the. The gems. And the Quincy Gems. The Quincy Gems majority owner is also a minority owner of the Hoots and the Corn Belters. So you have somebody that has a tie-in from all the teams. So in this pod, you have the Hoots, the Corn Belters, the, um, the Gems. Yeah. You also have the Falcons and the Eagles that just played here before that. But then they've also done a throwback to a previous Prospect League team, the Hannibal Cavemen. Because as David Schmall told, I've got to tell this story. Yeah. They're trying to figure out the six teams name. And he said, he's talking to the, the guy over in... Um, in a in normal, I said, "Well, I got thirty cavemen jerseys. What do you think I should do?" <laughs> That's perfect. I have the yeah. cavemen too. But I thought it was a really smart idea because you know we talk about this whole show about these are small businesses. Yeah, they're able to keep their brands going even though they're not able to play baseball at the same scope because the corn belters are playing here and they're playing in normal and they're playing. And I thought that was a really smart, creative idea as opposed to just creating identities out of the thin air. Yeah, I completely agree. And you know, looking at the branding, I got to tell you, I know you're. I love the superhero Hulk jerseys that the Hoots are wearing tonight. This green is really sharp, and I promise you that the Mac Daddy's walking away with one tonight somehow. I will bid that money. The credit card's getting maxed out, but I'm getting a jersey tonight. You really liked your hot dog. Oh, my gosh, because of the bun. Is that not crazy? It's crazy. The bun was so good. and The hot dog was the hot dog was solid, right? I mean, it's really difficult to mess up a hot dog, but the bun was really good, and I, I – I, I think that just goes to, sh- to show I'm kind of a buns guy. You also asked what I was looking forward to. So again, I'm going to put oh, yeah. an insert of what we're playing in. I love the Corn Belters uniforms. Scott hates the Corn Belters Don't uniforms. Like them. We want you on Twitter to let us know. What do you think of... Do you like their mustard yellow pajama yeah. bottoms or not? I like the tops. I love the tops. But the bottom with the guys that don't have the high socks, it, seriously, it looks like they're rolling out of bed in North Dakota. So much for him being a buns guy. Like buns, the right buns. <laughs> We're covering the game. Oh, okay. So I'm gonna put five buns. Thank I you. Grab whatever I want out of you. Out of the mystery bucket. Out of the mystery bucket. Roam around. <laughs> Uh, no, 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 you'll, you'll, you'll like that. That's, that's good. That's, that's the way the game goes. Budweiser, really? Well, Scott, sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. Sometimes it rains. Who's on first? The Let's Get To Local Nine, brought to you by Fine Line Sportswear. We are excited to welcome to Let's Get To the co-owner and president of the Portland Pickles, Alan Miller. Alan, how's it going, man? It's going great, man. We, we got baseball. Everything's good. I, I want you to know that this is actually a big deal for me having you on. I've been a fan from afar. I'm trying to see if I can grab it. It's not an easy uh, hands reach. But um, my wife works for a company and they're, half their office is in Portland. And, they're, and her boss like grabbed me a, a Pickles hat years ago. So nice. I've been repping you guys from the beginning. Uh, tell me a little bit about how you ended up being the owner of of one of the most popular collegiate summer leagues in the country? You know, it was a lot of determination. Um, my partner, John Ryan, and I, we, we met over the love of minor league baseball. And uh, we were determined to be able to 
put our stamp on it. You know, we, we, both of us, we spend our summers in a normal summer going ballpark to ballpark, experiencing every level, what everyone has to offer. It's our favorite thing in the world to do. And, uh, you know, after many years of being a fan, I was like, I just, we, we gotta, we just gotta, gotta step in. We gotta, we gotta try it. We gotta see what our, if, if, if everything we're talking all this, you know, crap about it that we can do, we better go and step up to the plate and do it. So we, um, we went on to a sort of a big search to try to find the right fit for us, the right market, the right people, the right atmosphere. We looked at a lot of teams, a lot of minor league, unaffiliated, college independent. Um, and uh, we landed on the pickle opportunity and said, this checks everything that we love. We love Portland. Uh, and uh, and so we, we started off small. And over the last five years now, we, we, we own and run the whole thing. Portland is a very similar vibe to my hometown of Austin. It's a little intentionally off. How much does that Portland Pickles brand kind of capture that? You know, I've always said I'm, I spent a lot of my year in Austin, and I, I think Austin and Portland have incredibly similar sensibilities. I think they, I think they both really have an incredible ability to just create. I think there's, there's a, there are such great creators in both markets and, and, and collaboration. I think that's, what's cool about both these cities is you, you're, it's not a competitive issue with other brands or companies. It kind of is this really cool, like, well, if we do it together, it'll work even better. And so people do that. But I, I would say you're, you're dead on with the similarities of Austin and Portland. And, um, you know, and, and, and I think there's actually a lot more we can be doing as far as a actually almost a sister city collaboration. Um, you know, we, I have some ideas actually for some things we want to do. It's just that unfortunately the timing hasn't been right. This year. <laughs> yeah, no, you're, you're exactly right. Um, one of the things that we had heard about the brand and why we were so excited. So we were supposed to go to a pickles game anyway, uh, that weekend that we went, it was Hillsborough, Eugene and Portland was our trip. And then, of course, everything happened. And then you guys came up with the Wild West League. Talk about, one, how you came to that determination to basically run a pod league. And why was it important to you to get baseball back? Yeah, it's almost as if there's a thousand reasons not to do it. Um, but then the one that we thought was the most important was because everyone said you couldn't do it. And, 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 and it really was. I, I think that there was a – we just thought that, listen – we've got, once again, it comes back to great partners and great op- and great opportunities. And like, you know, we, we, the thing I think that came about this year is that we actually need it more than we ever have. We need baseball. We need camaraderie. We need teamwork. We need these aspects because other, without it, you, you, you know, it really mentally mental health is, is as important as anything else. And we need something to get behind. We need something to feel a part of. And, um, so it really, when it came down to the West Coast League, wasn't going to be able to operate this year. Um, you know, we just felt it felt a responsibility that well, we got to try to do something, um, whatever we have and whatever our ability is, and whoever wants to come and be a part of it, we've got to try. Um, so we did, we tried, and um, you know, we built a league very, very quickly. Uh, and I'm amazed at how good it is. Actually, the competition is incredible. The games are great. The Knights probably have four plus major league talent players on that team. Um, the Pickles have some, but the Knights have had, had the Pickles number. Um, but we've, there's, there's talent across every single team, and the games are great. They're entertaining to be at. They're entertaining to watch. So we're really proud of what we've achieved. I feel like uh, Portland has this 
relatively unknown history of baseball, right? The Beavers for the longest time, obviously the Mavericks um, and you guys. But one of the things y'all did that was so innovative and I guess led into being able to pivot to this is y'all were the only one I know who came up with your own minor league team. Uh, talk a little bit about the Gherkins and, and where that came from. Well, yeah, I know. It's kind of funny. Um, I, I love the, everyone's like, oh yeah, we, we have a, we have a farm team for our, for our collegiate women. Like, wait, what? I, wait, I thought, and I'm like, nah, 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 nah. Uh, so I think it's a part of our fun about, you know, creating our, the, whatever ecosystem we want to be in. I think we just want to go and create it. Um, just because something has been done the way it has does not mean that that's the way we're going to do it. I think we always make that determination when we ask why we're particularly doing something. Um, the Gherkins actually came about for a few reasons. Um, you know, one was actually just to solve an actual functional problem that, you know, a lot of our players are on semester systems, some are on quarter systems, um, some leave okay. earlier than others, some come later than others. Um, and, and so, we, we, you know, I think all, a lot of collegiate would, and especially in our area, because we're fairly remote, right, relatively to the middle of the country, players have to leave early. Um, so we wanted to be able to actually build a, a, a culture and team where if we needed a pitcher, if we needed a first baseman, um, hopefully there was somebody who was performing that we could actually bring them up and play on the pickles. Um, and I think we've actually achieved that to a certain degree. We've got a player on the Gherkins this year, um, Patrick Muscat, who has been unbelievable. I think mean, he's hitting over 400 and I would love to try to bring him up for the, you know, to, to bring him up if the pickles have an opportunity. So I think that was one of them. And I also think that just building our, building the brand in Portland, building the community of what we believe in and what baseball should be is important. Um, so giving more people the opportunity to see games in a very short summer as it is, uh, we thought would be a, a really big plus. And we wanted to create more cool hats. And and that's, I've got a, my Gherkins hat should be delivered today. I'm refreshing UPS. One of the things that we noticed when we were out there, so it was a big game for me. Um, it was my granddaughter's first baseball game ever. Um, we were excited to take her out. Obviously she's, uh, I think four months old. So I'll get to tell her stories. But one of the things I noticed that you don't see a lot, the energy, there was energy in the crowd, but the energy of the staff, um, everybody, you're going through the medical protocols, but super polite. I guess you were maybe at the game I was at and everybody was a buzz, like getting a chance to go talk to you. Um, it was this very weird energy. How much of that positivity and that, and that, I guess just positive vibe comes from you. Is it top down and, and, and why is it important to cultivate that? Well, I, I think that's a huge compliment. I appreciate that. I, I love hearing it. I mean, I think that that's a, you know, we have a bit of a policy, I think, that's kind of de developed over the years. And, and, and that really is love to be here or don't be here. Um, you know, I really see this. I, I, I'm really proud. Of, I think that the class of interns and staff that we've had this summer is absolutely phenomenal. More than anything else. I, I really I think at the end of the season, you know, where we're close to is, 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 is really almost like a, you know, I, I've really been reaffirmed of the youth of our, of our culture that they're, you know, they're not all slackers and, you know, this whole this millennials thing, you know, we had, we had 15 kids from, you know, all around come out because they were determined to, to learn about the sport, to learn about how to run a team uh, and to do it. And I, and I'm really, and, and risk their lives. I mean, to, in a, in a really straight way that, you know, like we're all risking risk, you know, we hear a lot of people, you know, who couldn't participate this year, you know, the reward, just the risk reward doesn't work for them. They, they have issues and that's totally fine. And I a hundred percent support it. 
But those that come out every single day and are working 20, you know, up to 20 hours a day with a smile and excited is really reaffirming. And I love that about it. And I love to hear that energy. And that, that, is, that is our core of what we should be doing is that every single day we should be there and be having fun. And I treat this as a canvas. This is a, you know, baseball to me is a creative canvas. I want to express, I want everyone to go to express themselves uh, in a way that is respectful, but fun. Um, and that goes from secret signs that we're hiding behind the backstop. It goes to, you know, how we write copy. It goes to, you know, posters that we make every week to merchandise. It, it's all creative. And I, and I really like the intersection of taking people that are maybe very analytics driven and combining analytics driven people with creative people, creating fun graphics for a webcast at the same time using advanced technologies. So I'm really proud of the staff. I'm glad. I'm really glad to hear that, and I and I, I really take a lot of pride in seeing them develop um, over the course of a few months, and you know, launching them into their careers. You uh, come across in this what ten minute interview as a super forward thinking, impressive kind of guy. So let's jump to 2021. Let's hope in God willing, and the creek don't rise that we are back to normal. What will you learn? going into 2021 from this very different situation that you played through in 2020? Yeah, I always think that, you know, it's, it's an inter- it's such a f- fantastic experience this summer and it's so weird and it's so different, you know, and, and when you get a chance to go to a pickle game at Walker stadium with 3000 people going crazy and singing and having fun and it's such a different environment and it doesn't say that it doesn't mean that this environment's different, you know, is wrong. It's such a different experience um, and, and really like a very back to basic roots experience. You know, what we've learned is we've got to try a lot of things this year that maybe we couldn't try. Um, one of our challenges for the broadcast is obviously to get better every day, but to try something different every day. Um, and we, and literally from how equipment is set up to how we're, we're streaming Wi-Fi to how we're using graphics to how we're interviewing players on the field during games um, to how we are using drone shots um, so the learnings from actually the, the broadcast test is invaluable. And I think that leading into next year, our broadcast will be even better than it, it has been. And you can see the progression. It starts off, it starts off the season terrible because we couldn't get Wi-Fi and we're, we're working off satellites and hotspots and it was <laughs> ridiculous. But thus is, that's pandemic baseball for you. So um, I think that the learnings will be great because we know how we, we've tried a lot of things this year. The learnings as to how to deal with temperature checks, players being, you know, you know, this and all these other issues. They're great. They're great for problem solving opportunities for staff and to learn those elements. Um, but I think going to just back to basics, we learned a lot of great operational elements to it, but more than anything else. And I think hopefully everyone takes this away. You can, anything you want to do, you can do and it's, and you can get it done. And I think that when we think about next season and we get into something like, well, what if we did this? That sounds kind of crazy. And I can be like, Dude, we played a baseball season in a pandemic. You can obviously <laughs> do that. So I think that that self, that sort of confidence that hopefully spreads to the staff next year um, will we'll make everyone that much better. Well, Alan, uh, I will be back up next year, hopefully to get the full pickle experience. I hope you'll come on next season to preview the 2021 pickles. Can I, I get you, can I get you? I'd love to. Thing? I think we're, I think it's actually, that's another interesting part is that, you know, we're really, this is sort of a scouting for, you know, uh, for our team. Cause you know, this is, this was probably half of what our team was going to be this year. Uh, so we really got a lot, a good look at a lot of players from our team and who we want to steal from the Knights too. <laughs> so, that. you know, I think we're going to have a really good squad next year. 
Well, I can't wait to get up there. Thank you so much for taking the time and being on Let's Get To, and for now being a, really a part of my baseball memories for the rest of my life. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. On deck, the Let's Get To interview brought to you by Zoomer Sport. We are excited to welcome to the show our interview of the week, a ball player we saw uh, play a couple of games out in O'Fallon, Missouri this weekend, Peter Zimmerman. He is part of the Astros system. Peter, how's it going, man? Uh, doing well. How are you? I mean, this core team's obviously been tough, but getting to play baseball is good. Well, I do. Let's jump into that then. So where did you play college ball? I played, you know, I started at St. Louis University. It just wasn't the best fit for me. So I ended up going to a junior college in Houston, uh, San Jacinto. And from there, I went to University of Missouri, and that's where I spent the last two years uh, playing in uh, Columbia. So let's go through the process then. So this year, um, no baseball, and then all of a sudden baseball. How did you find yourself playing uh, for in, in the Car Shield, uh, the Car Shield League? Well, the coaches who are running this team I'm on, uh, they run an organization or a facility called. P3 in St. Louis, which is a training facility that I've been going to for since high school. Like I've been going there for a while. So I have a good relationship with these coaches. And when the league shut down, you know, they reached out to me and said, Hey, we're letting some minor leaguers play in. And at the time I don't, I wasn't game ready yet. So I want to take a couple of weeks to get ready. And, uh, you know, having conversations with the Astros and, you know, they obviously can't sit there and say, Hey, you got to go play or you don't play or something like that. So like, um, they, you know, they gave me the approval to go play, and one of the notions was of getting some you know, defensive reps and playing. And uh, honestly, I've enjoyed playing in it a lot. It's a great laid-back environment to kind of develop it. It's also a great ballpark, too. Like, I've been to a lot of ballparks at that level, and that one really, really stands out as being a good park. It is. There's another good one, uh, GCS, which is about 30 minutes away. So there's about two really good indie ball-level stadiums. I know the – Hoots are using it after the prospect league. I mean, that's a great ballpark. It's a good environment. They do a really good job with the fans. So uh, I think they'll have a lot of success there. So uh, let's go back then talking about the Astros. I know we're all over the place there, but, but that's how I, I like to keep you on your toes. Um, what made the Astros a right fit, a right fit for you as far as signing? Look at the players they develop offensively. I mean, that's, I'm the offensive player first. I mean, obviously I'm working on the defensive side and other parts of my game, but, you know, I'm an offensive player. That's you know, I was a DH for the last year and a half. You know, maybe because of injuries and other things, but at Mizzou, that's where I was. And if you look at the Astros and how they develop guys, like seeing how Springer came through their system, Bregman, Altuve. I mean, the jump Springer made from college. I mean, he was obviously one of the best players in college to the high, high, high draft pick. But like the much as much as he developed is insane. And just like seeing how these guys develop is really impressive. And you know, talking to the scouts and talking to some of the guys in the organization as I was going through the process of, you know, kind of picking a team almost to sign with because it was almost like free. I mean, it was free agency for us. It was kind of a unique situation. And they stood out above everybody else and how they're going to develop us as players. And to me, that was very important for me. Like, if I'm going to sign somewhere and choose where I'm going to go, if I have that kind of leeway or, uh, you know, if I have that opportunity to do that, I'm going to choose the organization that's going to be best for my development. Was that the upside then for them cutting the draft down? I mean, they cut it to five rounds, which is ridiculous, but now at least you've got to have a choice. You know, yeah, I guess in a sense that is an upside. Um, obviously, it would have been cool to have my name called, but yeah. uh, I, mean, I, I know in a normal year I would have, so it's not really that big of a deal. I mean, we only had, I think, 
12, 13, maybe 14 guys signed in a normal year you have 40 plus. So obviously, you know, we've talked about with the scout. Remember he told us like, you guys are a special, you know, group. Like you're so small. This may be the smallest group that are pro baseball, you know, in the last hundred years and for the next hundred years, like who knows what's going to happen. But like, we are kind of a small group, but uh, yeah, it really was nice to be able to kind of choose the organization I was going to go to considering like I had a good relationship with the scout and I had a good feel, you know, I, as I said, I went to San Jack. I lived in Houston, so I know the city decently well. You know, I, remember, I was there when they won the World Series, so I know the excitement that there was. So uh, it, it was just a perfect um, combination for me to go there. I mean, we played in the Shriners Classic this past year, and I loved playing that ballpark. So it, it just seemed like the right fit. One of the things that I thought uh, was pretty interesting about the league you're in, and we've been covering this all, all over for our show. It's what our show focuses on. But – Sugarland and the Car Shield League are the only ones that have affiliated minor league ball players to start out. What was the process like? Was Houston like cool? Go get you some abs, or were they at all worried about you getting, you know, injured or the wrong kind of developed development? You know, uh, they. I can't really. I'm not going to go like too much into the whole conversation, but I think they understood that the uh, league I was in was taking very good precautions that they have a really good system set up with uh, testing and making sure we're negative. And then, you know, we have to get screened every day when we show up to the ballpark, yeah. you know, filling up questions, getting, you know, our vitals checked. So they're doing a very good job with that. I think that made it a little more comfortable with them with giving me the uh, approval to play. And um, I think the other part was I, you know, they, we have two great athletic trainers who are working, who worked in, who work in affiliated baseball too who obviously, you know, are kind of not out of a job, but, you know, their job isn't going on right now with minor leagues being shut down. So, uh, and also, as I said, the people that are my coaches on my team personally, you know, Josh Kiso, Austin Miney, Mitch Plasmeyer, like they, uh, they take care of pro guys all the time. Like we have many pro players come through that, or they have many pro players go through their uh, training facility P3 out in uh, Wentzville. I mean, they have guys – such as like Mitch or uh, Mike Plasmeyer, who's with the Rays. You have, uh, you know, Brett Graves goes in there and works out. He's with the Marlins. He was in the major leagues a little bit. Like they've had a lot of good guys. I know uh, Ross Detweiler was going in there. You know, Jackson Rutledge, who was out of San Jack in Houston, who was a 17th overall pick to the Nationals. Like he works out there. So they have really good experience with high-level players and training them. And they also have known me for six, seven years. Yeah. So I think that relationship, knowing that, this isn't something I'm walking to a random group. This is somebody who knows my body, knows who I am as a person and really can, you know, work with me. Uh, that's awesome. And I, I was so tickled to see you on there. Cause I'm beyond doing the show. I'm, I, I grew up in the Astrodome. Like I am a diehard Astros fan. And uh, one of the things I'm, I'm excited for you, like, you know, I, I fingers crossed, we're all going to be back to normal next year. Have you got to look at some of the ballparks in the system that you'll be playing in? Uh, really Waterburger field. You're going to have a blast down there in Corpus Christi. Yeah. Oh, I played there already. We, we had a, a tournament there this past year with Mizzou. Uh, we played K state, Utah and, uh, and oh, cool. I love that park. I hit pretty well down there. It was, uh, <laughs> I think that's honestly like, that's part of the reason why the Astros, where I think we're also interested is I, you know, kind of tore it up a bit at Whataburger at their own park. And then also minute made. So, uh, no, I, uh, got a good look at Whataburger field. That is a, gorgeous feel. I mean, that really is a beautiful place. It's completely top notch. Um, so you grew up, I guess you're a Cardinals fan growing up. I am diehard. 
Well, and no, not, hey, not anymore. Hey, Astros, Astros first now. Well, I tell you, what's funny is um, the other guy does a show who's with me, diehard Cardinals guy, and we've kind of adopted each other's teams when the Astros moved. But I gotta wonder that had to have been would have been fun if you if the Astros were still in the NL in the Central, and all of a sudden you're like, well, I gotta. It would have been it would have been interesting. I mean, yeah. it would have been something else. Uh, the one thing I'll say is, I mean, I do have plenty of memories of Albert Pujols just putting balls out. I mean, that's where I, I end the interview, dude. That's where I end the interview. Yeah. Hey, hey, the, it's the 05 NLCS one. You guys, we won the we the Astros won the series anyway and went to the World Series, so it's okay. I mean, right. I remember Lance Berkman flicking his wrist and putting balls into the Crawford boxes. I mean, those were fun teams when you guys had Clemens, Oswald, Pettit. Yeah. I mean, those, the BGOs, Bagwell towards the end of his career. I mean, there were the Houston and St. Louis rivalry was great growing up. I mean, I, and honestly, when the Astros moved to the AL, you know, when I was younger, I didn't like the Astros, but as they moved the AL, they started getting guys like I really liked Altuve. And especially when they got Verlander a couple of years ago, I really started like when I was in Houston, I, I always loved Justin Verlander. I mean, I remember yeah. in 2006, you know, the Cardinals beat the Tigers in the World Series and they actually interviewed, you know, their World Series Phil Verlander talked in it and just the way he talked about the game as a rookie that year, he just was wise beyond, beyond his years. You can see why he was going to be a star. I mean, I remember him talking about letting up a home run to Albert Pujols. He was like, you know, just shouldn't have made that pitch. And you could see it didn't, you know, it didn't, it didn't like eat him away, but, you know, it drove him. Like you could see this guy understood and was a humble guy and you can see why he's had the success he's had. He's just unbelievable. So what drives you? Loving the game and wanting to be the best. I mean, like any competitor should. I mean, I just love baseball. I mean, it's why, it's why when I got the opportunity to go play in this league, I did. I love playing baseball. It's just the pride and joy of my life. Uh, you know, that and my dog. This just in. News from Minor League Baseball. Now, our breaking news segment is hardly breaking. It has been all over the internets in some form or fashion. And that really deals with the fight between the Oakland Athletics and the Houston Astros. And I'm going to give kind of my take of it because I've become, again, the kind of stand in for people who want a reasonable Astros take. And I'm going to do my best to give it to you. Now, problem is, is that reasonable won't always fit the national narrative. And you know, part of me really is just over how we've reported so many elements of this Astros story, in part because, like, on the on the one hand, it is unimportant. There are bigger fish to fry. But I think it's really interesting and really um, – it's an interesting stand-in for how we're doing media, period. We tell the story that fits our narrative – even if we have to bend the narrative to fit the narrative, as opposed to letting the story reveal the narrative. It's uh, it goes back to that documentary that's being made about the sign stealing and, you know, it's being produced by LeBron James. And so everybody knows LeBron made it very clear what he thinks about the Astros sign stealing. Well, the producers of that film reached out to me to be on the movie. And I have no interest in being part of a video essay. A documentary means you shoot a bunch of stuff and you find the story. They have no interest in finding the story. That's what's happening with this. And unfortunately, it's also what's happening with our politics, the way we're talking about world events. And it leads to why, even though we have so much more information about um, the world, 
why we have, I think, a much more ignorant population. Because with all this information, we're now able to find information that already fits our belief as opposed to having our beliefs informed by the the information that we find. So this is what goes down. Loriano got hit for the third time in three days. I think the A's got hit five times overall. And that is is obnoxious. It's got to suck, even though they were breaking balls every time by rookie pitchers who just lost control. They weren't. This wasn't Joe Kelly trying to prove he was a man. These were kids trying to stay in the show, got put in tough spots and let loose a slider wrong or a curveball. But either way, even if, you know, what's the difference? If you get hit by something thrown 70 miles an hour and 80 miles an hour, it hurts. So Loriano gets hit. And the way the media tells the story is that he trotted to first and was super sweet about it. And then all of a sudden, somebody mean from the Astros said something. It's not what happened. He barked at um, at Castellanos, the Astros pitcher, sorry, all the way to, there's so many new Astros pitchers, I can't remember them. He barked at Castellanos the entire way up to the to first base to the point that Maldonado was behind him, mockingly showing him the grip on a slider. Like, like he was being a prick. Alex Cintron, I have to think, sees this and decides to also be a prick. And the melee ensues. Now, the fact is, is that Alex Cintron was completely wrong and out of line. But the way the media is telling the story is that is that Loriano went to first with no big deal. And then all of a sudden was intact. No, it was two. It was a group of people that it was heated. And then there was escalation. Loriano charges the dugout as opposed to hiding in the dugout like Joe Kelly. And um, Citron hides behind two players a lot more like Joe Kelly. And then Dustin Garnell does his best steer wrestling thing. And I really think she get a chance to compete in the Houston livestock show and rodeo. The punishments are going to be interesting. And I think they should be stiff. First of all, I think both play, I think both Loriano and Centron will get at least 10 games. And I think they should. I think um, if I'm the Astros, I fire Centron. Uh, one, he's the hitting coach. They're not hitting anyway. Uh, but also, you don't need the distraction. And I think the thing that's been kind of interesting is that Dusty Baker was kind of brought in to be a stabilizing force in what was going to be an awful season because the other teams in the MLB were justifiably mad. We can talk about – I don't want to talk about whether whether or not they're dumb for being mad, but there's justification in their anger. And I don't know that he's done a whole lot more than stir things up, like saying things like, we don't start fights, we finish them. The hitter sports and I got into it a little bit. It was respectful, but he brought up a good point. Unfortunately, the Astros have put themselves in the position where they have to be, they have to just take it. Outside of... um you know, somebody throws the first punch, then by all means. But, you know, you, you, or, or somebody getting thrown that intentionally, fine. But they're going to have to take the chirping. They're going to have to take the comments. And I think most, I think, I don't think it's been as bad as people thought. I think that you see a lot of really friendly conversations when players get on base. Um, but they're going to have to take some of that because at the end of the day, their owner let them take the fall 
I believe that. So that way the owner wasn't punished in other more direct ways. However, regardless of what that situation was or whatever the reality situation is, they are going to have to put up with some of the comments that just are. And, and they, they essentially are going to have to be the bigger person and deal with it. But so if I'm the Astros, I definitely fire um, Centron. It's not, it's not worth the extra hassle to have that be part of your situation. I think Loriano gets 10 games. I think both teams get heavily fined. And the real sucker in all of this is the catcher for the for the Oakland A's, Austin What's his nuts? Don't bother learning his name. Um jumping on top of Maldonado, who's generally regarded as one of the most respected catchers in the game and one of the nicest people in the game. And he jumped on him from behind and started ripping his gear off so he couldn't see while he was trying to keep the thing from escalating. Because speaking of the media trying to turn this into a thing, right? The media has in everything these days has a predisposed narrative that it wants to tell. And the, the laziest part of this is trying to say, this is, this is all part of the anger over 2017. And, and there are simple facts to say that this particular incident, look, I think Joe Kelly is at least tangentially connected to 2017. Um, we will, but even in that story, they ignored the fact that Kelly was also part of a team that cheated the Dodgers out of a World Series, right? And, and they they actually addressed this on Houston radio. They had the beat a beat writer for the LA Times saying, "Well, the Dodgers forgave them because they really got their ass kicked in 2018, and and so it's like we'll we'll let you go, but because the Astros game was close, they care more." Talk about mental gymnastics. But the other, what they're trying to do with this instance is saying that Loriano was angry over 2017 and that's why the tensions blew over. Loriano was a member of the Astros in 2017. He played in Corpus Christi, Texas. He was traded because there was no room in the outfield at that time for him. And he actually had been openly bitter about that. And that's been a part of the story every single time that he has come to play against the Astros. He plays a great game. And, and Jeff Luno even made the statement, well, I wish we could have that one back. His anger has nothing to do with 2017. And what will end up happening with this story is the media will run to this, connecting to 2017, whether it is or not, every single time. And then what's going to happen is that when something actually is directly connected to 2017, a percentage of your audience is going to be tired of hearing it and they're not going to care then. It's called, it's called crying wolf. It's the, it's a story as, as old as time. And it's just another thing where, um, where I think media is losing its responsibility. And the question is, is why do I care so much? I care because it's my job. Like I'm a filmmaker. I am in media. I care about it because we owe a responsibility when we're telling a story that is supposed to be true to people to tell it as truthfully as we can. And frankly, the more we kind of have a, have a, a situation of media makers and audiences who don't care, we are going to fall farther and farther away from the idea of what our democracy and what our free press is supposed to be. Because again, this baseball thing doesn't matter. It, it, I have to remember that. It doesn't matter. I think it matters on Twitter when everybody I'm interacting with cares. To me, it's always about a slippery slope of 
The way they're handling this part of it is also the way we've discussed politics and the way we've discussed world affairs and the way we're discussing the election where it explains why you can have so many people who think Trump did a good job during coronavirus. Because they pay attention to a media that's telling them the story they already want to be told and therefore they ignore other facts or other evidence and no one, no one outside of a few news outlets is saying Trump did a good job during the coronavirus, just like only Barstool and the like are saying the Astros were the only ones who ever stole signs ever, despite all the smoke to the contrary. I think, again, everybody's turned tribal. Everybody's everybody's now everybody's now looking through either green and gold or orange and blue glasses. The situation when we should understand Loriano's anger, but also realize that he helped escalate the situation by not just going to first base. Like he should have at that moment said, this is a guy I don't know. This is a rookie. And Lord knows we've had enough rookie pitchers in our system that we know what this is like and just go to first base. You're already winning. And in fact, the fact is, is now this is going to hurt Oakland and it's going to hurt Houston more because they both will take suspension. Who cares if the hitting coach gets suspended? There's enough guys in the minors that probably could do as good or better of a job versus one of the best outfielders in the game. To close it out, the right-hander from Houston, Texas, James Christopher. So that does wrap us up for this episode of Let's Get To. I want to thank the good folks at the O'Fallon Hoots for bringing us out, putting us up, and showing us a really good time out here at Car Shield Field. Thanks to Scott McIntyre, who's holding the camera right now, but also nothing better than hanging out with this dude and talking baseball for all day. We will be back next week with a lot of fun. It's going to be our 100th episode. We're going to have a lot of our favorite guests from the past, some new guests. We're going to be having our Let's Get Two award results announced throughout the week. So it's going to be a really busy time. Have a great rest of your week. Have a great weekend. And until next time, let's get two.